Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Well, if you are wondering if he loves you, I can promise you that was settled at the cross many years ago as he gave his life for you. And uh, I always enjoy hearing my daughter sing before I preach, although yesterday was a tough day. She came home yesterday after being gone for a week, and she walks in the door, jumping, kind of skipping, but she has a wedding dress in her, in her arms, in her hand, on her back. And um, so it was a, a stark reality of what is to come in the next few weeks, but uh, I'm excited for her. Mark chapter 7. In your Bibles this morning, Mark chapter 7, and we come today to the final section of this chapter, Mark 7, as we are going verse by verse through Mark's gospel account, following and learning from the life and ministry of Jesus. Remember last week that we learned that Jesus has moved out of the Jewish region and now he has moved into Gentile territory and he's teaching the disciples what servant ministry looks like, what servant leadership looks like. He's teaching them what great faith looks like last week as he talked about the great faith of of that woman. And it doesn't look like Uh, The Pharisees, as pointed out in the first 23 verses of chapter 7, but instead it, it looks like this woman who had great faith in God, although she felt so undeserving of his grace. And so Jesus is teaching them, he's teaching you and I, and he is preparing them for ministry after he Uh, is crucified and resurrected and ascends back into heaven. He is preparing them for ministry after that. And what he is teaching them, especially last week, is that your faith is not dependent on what race you are. Your, Your faith is not dependent on being a Jew. It isn't dependent on whether you're a man or a woman. Your faith isn't dependent upon your social status. Your faith is dependent upon humility and repentance. Repenting from your sin. And as we saw last week, this, this lady comes to him and she calls him Lord and she calls him the son of David. She believed in Jesus. She identified him as Lord. She repented of her faith in all other, all the religions, the false religions that she had around her. She repented of them all and she turned and put her faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's so very important for the apostles to see this, to see Jesus do this, and to to understand that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews, but Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Redeemer of the world. Again, the purpose of God was always to save you and I, to save the Gentiles through the witness and testimony of the Jews. And so this entire chapter has been a contrast, hasn't it? Verses 1 through 23, phony faith as he dealt with the Pharisees. And then in verses 24 and following to the very end, we see pure faith as he goes into this Gentile region. And today we see another teaching moment by Jesus uh, another encounter that most, if not all, Jewish rabbis would have avoided. Jesus goes right into it, showing them how different his ministry is than the Pharisees. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, let's do so as we read uh, verses 31 through 37. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. 
And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his finger into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephtha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain, and he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Father, again, as we come to your word, we surrender and submit underneath its authority. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. We thank you for the spirit of God that is our teacher. And we thank you, Lord, for the church of God in which we can gather with today. And we pray that as the word of God is open, that you, the Holy Spirit of God, would be our teacher today. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who spiritually Uh, has never come to faith and repentance in you, that they have never heard from you. We pray, Lord, that today you would open their ears, that they would hear the word of God, that your Holy Spirit would convict them and draw them, and they would come to you. And we pray for us as Christians, teach us today from your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Before we jump into the, the text in detail, I want us to consider why Mark alone... Uh, includes this specific episode. Matthew and Luke and John do not include this specific encounter with this man, but I think that Mark puts it in here and uh, for a very specific reason. And I want to suggest that we find the clue in, in that word that is the Greek word that is translated speech impediment in our text. That word is only used one other time in the entire Bible. It is not used at all in the New Testament. If you were to translate the Hebrew, the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, you would find this word one time in the Old Testament, none in the New Testament, once in the Old Testament, and you would find it in Isaiah chapter number 35. I want you to listen to this messianic prophecy that centuries before Mark writes this, that Isaiah records for us, and listen closely to the wording He says, after he had pronounced judgment on Israel, he comes back in Isaiah 35 and he says, he gives them hope. The wilderness and the solitary solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. He He is prophesying here of a time when the Messiah will come. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and, conf- and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Listen, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue. And this is the only other time that this word is used. And the tongue of the dumb sing for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. 
And I think that we see the prophecy of that in the earthly ministry of Jesus as the Messiah. And so Mark uses this same word, referencing back all the way to Isaiah's prophecy, confirming in the heart of the disciples, this is indeed Jesus, the Messiah that had been prophesied by the prophets. This is him. This is him that is doing these miracles. Now, back in the text, the apostles, they're doing a lot of walking. And I'm not going to take the time today to show you the path that they went after after they left the Galilean region. But it is certainly not a path that we would have chosen if we were to just kind of lay out an evangelistic ministry. They're going all over the, the place. And verse 31 informs us that the location of this miracle... Uh, Jesus had left Tyre and Sidon. Remember, we said that is present-day Lebanon. He had left there, and now he is in Decapolis. Now, if you remember just a few chapters back, chapter 5, Jesus had already been to this region. Just for a few hours, he had been in Decapolis. And you might remember that when he was there, that he had healed a man, a maniac man who lived among the tombs. He lived in the graveyards. He was naked and he cut himself and he broke the chains that people bound him with. And the Bible says that after Jesus saved him, there was a radical change in his life, wasn't there? He was clothed. He was in his right mind. And if you remember in that story in Mark chapter 5, after this man was healed, Jesus, of course, sends the demons into uh, the pigs and that uh, they run off the cliff and into the water and they are drowned. And of course, the people are not very happy about that because that is for many of them their livelihood. And just like many today, basically they say to Jesus, we liked our life better before you came into it. And we want you to leave our region. And so Jesus leaves there. But if you remember, right before he leaves, this maniac comes to him And he wants to go with Jesus. Do you remember that? He wants to go with him and his disciples, but Jesus doesn't allow him to. And you remember what he tells him to do? Go back into your region and tell the people what has happened to you. And so between that time and now, this maniac has been a witness for Jesus in that area. I believe that that it is a, a testimony to the witness and the changed life of this man. We know that as he goes back into the capitalist that many people are healed, not just this one man. Mark doesn't give us that, that detail, but Matthew says this uh, right after the, the, the section that we just finished. He said, great multitudes came into him, having with them those that were lame and blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. But Mark focuses on this one man, this, this deaf man. And there's an obvious paradox in the story before us. Here was a man, first of all, who, if he could speak, he was allowed to speak, but he was not able. And then he is able to speak, but he's not permitted to speak. Jesus says, don't speak, don't tell anyone. Or we could remember this text like this. First, he is unable to speak. Then he is enabled to speak. And then thirdly and lastly, he is unable not to speak. At first of all, he can't speak. Then Jesus enables him to speak. And then he is unable not to, not to speak. So I want to divide this story just into three basic sections for us this morning as we go through this. First of all, in verse 32, we see this man's condition. 
What is the condition of this man? He is, he's deaf. And he has a speech impediment, which in the case of most deaf people, uh, depending on how long they have been deaf, that many times they have a speech impediment because they haven't been able to hear words like you and I have. Another detail that we see in verse number 32 is that this man has people who love him and who care about him and want to get him to Jesus. These are, are friends and family members who care enough about him to get him to the one who they had heard about who had cast the demons, the legion of demons, out of the maniac. Again, as Jesus is teaching his disciples about Ministry, he's teaching them time and time again this important principle for all of us to learn. And listen, the church of Jesus Christ needs to get a hold of this and to, needs to grasp this detail that Jesus has a heart for the hurting. Jesus has a heart for the outcast. Jesus has a heart specifically in the text today for the handicapped. Jesus loves and he took time for people who were often set aside by others and if you and I want to be like Jesus if we want to minister like Jesus does then we are to have a heart that is full of love and a heart that is full of compassion for the downcast for the outcast for the handicapped for those that many times get passed by we need to get away from the mentality that is prevalent in American Christianity that we will reach those who will benefit us. We will reach those with deep pockets. We will reach those who are on the same social status as us. Listen, Jesus shows a very important principle to the disciples here and a very important principle to you you and I as we are following him through this gospel account that he always takes time for the hurting. He's interested in those that many pass by. And not only is... Jesus attracted to them, but it's also interesting, isn't it, to know that they are attracted to Jesus. That it's many times these people who are the most open to the gospel. You know, the, it's the outcasts. It are those who don't have a whole lot many times. It, are, it, it, are the, it is those who many people pass by who when we will stop where they are, when we will show interest in them, when we will have a conversation with them, that many times they're, they're the most open to the gospel. They're attracted to Jesus. Jesus is attracted to them. And it's important that we direct their hearts. We give them hope. Hey, do we have, as we sang about this morning, living hope? That was pretty weak. Do we have living hope, church? We have living hope in a hopeless world. A lot of people have hopeless situations and they're looking for hope. And you and I are the only ones who can give them the hope of eternal life. We can, with confidence, report to them that there will not be one single handicapped person in heaven for eternity. There will be no crippled bodies. There will be no blinded eyes. There will be no deaf ears, no feeble minds, no erratic emotions. And this is the hope of eternity. Those who suffer so much in this world, those who are handicapped, those who are outcasts, those who struggle all kinds of, uh, of other physical and mental issues. Listen, we need to remind them of the hope of heaven and the glorious comfort that comes in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship and the love of other Christians. Heaven is a place of renewed minds and bodies untainted by the sin of this world. And we see 
the man's condition. It was bleak. But then we see, secondly, the master's cure. And we see this in verses 33 through 35. This man's friends and family bring him to Jesus, and Jesus changes his life. As I mentioned last week, remember, every village, every town, every home, every house is a classroom to the apostles, and they're learning here about how to do ministry. They're they're learning specifically here about the reach of the kingdom of God. They're eyewitnesses to the fulfilled prophecies of the prophets. And in great contrast to the quote-unquote ministry of the Pharisees, Jesus is about to show them what pure religion and what humble leadership looks like. And the first thing that you see in the text is that Jesus took this man aside. He didn't deal with him publicly. He took him aside into a quiet place. You say, why did he do that? And, and if you've been around deaf people very much, you know this, that often in crowds, they are confused. They can't hear all that's going on around them. And oftentimes, people don't know that they're deaf unless they know them personally. And so a lot of times, people get very frustrated with them because they don't always know exactly what to do. They can't hear what is going on around them. And so you imagine the crowd that is around them You imagine the chaos, really, that is around them. And Jesus takes this man and he takes him aside individually. Often, these are people that withdrew. And Jesus is showing here his compassion and his care for him and taking him aside. Not to embarrass him where he's not confused. He refuses to make a spectacle of him. He he refuses to do this uh, little trick for all of the the crowd that is there. He is not concerned in this moment about the crowds, although he's preached to the crowds. He's fed the crowds. In this moment, listen, Jesus is focused on this individual man. And he's teaching the disciples and he's teaching you and I how to do ministry. And here is the clear point. And listen, if you miss everything else this morning, if you've slept through it all, wake them up right here just for this one statement, all right? Here's what Jesus wants them to know. You are an individual that I love and care for. And in this situation, he was going to die for this man. He was going to die for him. He wanted him to know that he was, listen, he wasn't just an individual. He was an individual made in the image of God. And listen, despite what the enemy is telling you this morning or has told you this week, I want to remind you that you are an individual made in the image of God. And he loves you and he cares for you. And now on this side of the the cross and the grave, we can say Jesus died for you. He died for you. He loves you. He works in all of our lives in very different ways. And he takes this man aside. And we've seen this as we we have gone through this gospel. And as we will continue to, that that every case was different. Every method was different. Every, Every case merited special attention from the master. And I've entitled this that Jesus uses sign language because this this instance, he does something he's never done before. He uses whatever method he needs to to communicate to this man. And we could all give testimony this morning. Listen, we're all saved by the same blood. Amen? 
We're all saved by the same gospel, but we could tell our story this morning and God has used different methods to show us that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. He is a personal Savior. And he can't tell this man verbally what he's about to do. And we see not only does he take him aside privately, but before there was any kind of formal that we know of sign language, Jesus takes this man aside, gets him in a quiet place, and he uses sign language to show him what he's about to do. First, he puts his finger in his ear, and he lets him know that he's about to do something about his deafness. And then, pre-COVID certainly, he spits on his finger and he touches the man's tongue, letting him know that he's about to lubricate his speech. This is all Jesus using sign language to show them. This isn't what you see on TV with the healers who put their hands in their ears and release them from hearing. That's not what Jesus is doing. He is communicating to this man what he is about to do to him. He is about to touch his hearing. He is about to touch his mute tongue. And he is awakening faith in this man's heart, communicating to him that he is about to do something radical to change his life. And unlike the Pharisees, one thing that we see here again in ministry is that Jesus was not afraid to get into this man's life and come to where he was and touch him. The Pharisees, remember, they're so scared of of touching anything, of getting near the Gentiles, lest anything unclean touch them. And here we see Jesus go right to this man and touch him, showing care and compassion. He wasn't afraid to touch the rod of leprosy. He wasn't afraid to touch this man's ears and tongues and praise the Lord that spiritually this morning, you and I can rejoice that he came to where we were. That he left the glories of heaven and he came to this sin-filled world and he died for you and I. Or one of my favorite scriptures as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, speaking of God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He came to where we were. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Or as Peter writes about Jesus in 1 Peter 2.24, again referencing an Old Testament prophecy, he says, speaking of Jesus, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. The redeemed are saved and the lost And the sin sick can be saved today because Jesus, listen, because he was willing to come to us. When we could not go, the songwriter said, when we could not go to where he was, he came to us. He came into our mess. He came individually for us. He came to to save you. And then the last act of sign language that Jesus uses is looking up toward heaven and sighing this this sigh of care and compassion. Again, communicating to this deaf man where this healing was coming from. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above. It's from the Father. And I'm so thankful. Aren't you this morning so thankful for a Savior who cares? Who individually cares? meets us where we are 
Isaiah 53, 3 says this, he is despised, again, a prophecy of the Messiah. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He came into our mess. He touched us. And regardless of what you're facing today, I want to remind you that our Savior is full of care and compassion. And for us as believers and followers of Jesus, let me ask us this morning, are we learning from his ministry? He was here to teach the apostles how to minister. Are we learning from his ministry? As Paul says in Philippians 2, 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of who? Others. Others. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And Jesus says one word, ephtatha, which means be opened. And listen, I love this. At the word of Jesus, the man's hearing was restored and his tongue was loosed. At his word. Does that remind you of something else, of the power of our God? Let us not forget that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. He was in the beginning with God and he was God. And there is power in his word, church. In the very beginning, go back to the beginning in Genesis 2 and 3. And there was power in the word of God. We see that in the creation account. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let, the firmament, firmament, uh, in the, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and it was so. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, and it was so. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, and it was so. God said. God said, God said, and there was power in that word. And then you come to Jesus. And what, how does John describe Jesus? The word. The word. John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Listen, in the very beginning, his word had power to speak creation. When Jesus came, he was the word, and which healed these people and touched them and brought salvation. And, let, and, and aren't you thankful this morning that when he left and ascended back into heaven, that he now has given us his written word, his revelation to us. This word that the Bible says is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-sided two, uh, two sword piercing our hearts. The discerner of our hearts. And then Romans ten seventeen, Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. I can assure you that this man... If he could speak to us this morning, he would let us know that meeting Jesus changes everything. We see his condition, we see the cure, and then lastly, we see the multitude's confession in verses 36 and 37. And look, we could speculate this morning why Jesus told them to keep this matter quiet. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why. It could have been a test. It could have been because he was trying to minimize the crowd. 
It could have been that there was something else going on in that region that we don't know about. And there's a lot of people who love to speculate. But what we do know and what is recorded for us is this, is that they could not contain themselves. They couldn't contain themselves. They had to tell somebody. This was such a change in their life. They had to share it with somebody. Remember, first he was unable to speak, and then he was unable to speak, and then what? He was unable not to speak. He had to tell somebody. What a contrast to the way that many of us are today. Jesus told them to tell no one, and what do they do? Tell everyone. Jason, Jesus said after he left, go tell everyone, and what do we do? Hardly tell anyone. I want to show you from the Scripture why they couldn't contain themselves, why they couldn't keep it in. When we understand, listen, when we understand the reality of the gospel and the command by Jesus to proclaim the gospel, we should be actively in the business of telling people about Jesus. Because this is more, what we have in the gospel is more than just giving giving sound to a deaf man. It's more than just giving speech to a mute man. It is giving eternal life to a lost soul that otherwise will spend an eternity in hell. And what we see in Decapolis is this. The maniac told his story, didn't he? The deaf man and mute man told his story. Let me ask us this morning, when is the last time you told your story? When's the last time I could not keep it all in? Because I want you to see this morning and understand, church, that you and I have the great privilege of living in a post-resurrection era. And Jesus has issued a very clear command to us as he left this earth in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all always even into the end of the world. And not only has he given us the commission, but he has equipped us, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when he said, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Everywhere. Everywhere. In our text in verse 37, I want you to mark this phrase because I believe this is the key to it. It says that they were Beyond measure astonished. Beyond measure astonished. Can I ask you this morning, is that us? Can you go back in your mind to those first days after salvation when you realized where you were headed without Jesus and that he had just saved your soul eternally from hell? Can you go back and remember the astonishment, the amazement that was there? And here is why they could not keep quiet because they were beyond measure astonished. And then notice what he says, they sum it all up. He has done all things well. And as I look back on my life, I can give that testimony, can't you? He has done all things well. He has never 
once failed me. Can anyone give testimony to that this morning? More of us should. He has never once failed us. He has never once let us down. And listen, he has done all things well. So that's easy for you to say. This is a statement of faith, not feelings. We don't say that because of what has happened in our life. We say that, Jason, because we believe that God is faithful and that he has an eternal plan for our lives. And when you and I get to the place where we can't say he's done all things well, it's because we have a very limited view of life and God. You see, because when you look at the whole scheme of things, when you look into eternity, you can say, as Job says, he has given and he has taken away. What's the last part? Blessed be the name of the When you're told that you have cancer, only as you look into eternity, but as you look into eternity, we can testify that he has done all things well. When someone close to us has has died, how can we look at that in certain situations and say he has done all things well? We look through this life into eternity and we look to where they are, Brother Stephen. We can say he has done all things well. Amen. Let us by faith do this. And, and when our children, Wes, are going through things that we never want them to have to go through, how can we by faith step back and say he has done all things well? Because listen, our statement is not dependent upon our circumstances. It is, it, it is based upon what we believe about the character of God. He is faithful. He is right. He is true. And as we look through it with eternal eyes, we are able to say this. One of my favorite songs that my dad and I used to sing growing up says, Oft times the day seems long. Our trials are hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run this temporary race until we see Christ for eternity. Let us get our eyes on him. I know I'm in overtime. You can blame Matt. I'm going to. Thank you. (laughs) As we follow Jesus through the Gospels, I'm reminded that the the physical healings of Jesus, it gives us an illustration of what we have, what he can do in the spiritual realm. And listen, you may be doing just fine physically today. Many of us are, are way blessed beyond measure. 92 years old. Way blessed beyond measure. You may be doing just fine physically, but if you're lost, you have far more problems, far more serious problems than any physical handicap ever endured by anyone in the history of mankind. 
If spiritually, listen, if spiritually you are blind, if spiritually you are deaf, you are of all men most miserable. And let me just say this, that the physically crippled and blind and deaf and mute man who knows Christ, he is far better off than any unsaved person. For he or she will spend less than a hundred years or so here on this life going through physical ailment while you spend eternity in torment. Give me the hundred years of physical ailment. This story is a physical reminder that only Jesus can open our spiritual ears. And when he does, that we will want everyone to know. We want everyone to know what he has done. Jesus knows about our spiritual condition and there are people in your life that care about you. Perhaps you've had someone bring you. Perhaps you've had someone invite you. And I want to encourage you this morning from this text that Jesus will meet you where you are individually. Individually. He cares for you. And the greatest news of all, he can set you free. He can change your life. He can give you more than just physical healing, James. He can give you eternal life. And then it doesn't matter what happens in this life. You can say Jesus does everything well. And then you can sing, it is well with my soul. Perhaps as Christians today, we need to come and and ask God for that astonishment back. That astonishment that we might see again clearly God in his glory, that we might see again Calvary and what he went through for us, Dave. We're going to get there. I know we're slow going through this, but we're going to get there in the study, what he went through for us at Calvary. Uh, Maybe we need a clear view of what our life would look like without him in it, what eternity would look like without him in it. And because of him, what eternity looks like for us. That'll cause us to get our astonishment back on it. And when that happens, you won't be able to shut us up. We'll have to tell somebody about what he's done for us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, for this story. Not just a story, this biblical account of your healing power. Thank you for teaching us what true ministry looks like. Thank you for showing us what great faith looks like. We thank you that you not only came to the Jew, although you came to them first, but you also came to the Gentile. We thank you that you have said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, give us our astonishment of you back. Recall to our hearts and minds all that you have done in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to clearly convey that to other people. 
We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that is lost and does not know you as their personal Savior, that today would be the day that they come and they put their faith in you, you alone. 